we have been looking at the revolution of Absalom. And it is not a story that is often considered. And the sin of revolution is certainly not a a sin that is often considered. I, I would be willing to bet you have never heard of the sin of revolution until this class. Uh, you've certainly not considered it in, in, in um, much because the sin of revolution is just the air we breathe in America. Uh, uh, we Americans and probably the West at large, we are radically individualistic and we are anti-hierarchy, anti-authority. Uh, we think of ourselves as autonomous individuals um, who are covenantally united to the federal government, period, end of conversation. And um, that is completely terrible, right? That is terrible. We are trying to build a covenant community where we, where we understand the bonds that we have with one another in our families and in our church and in our parish and in our town. Amen. We're trying to wrap our minds around this covenantal worldview, this paradigm. And so part of that, though, is understanding the sin of revolution so that we don't commit it and so that we are not the dupes when others are committing it, right? No one wants to be in a mob carrying pitchforks following some Absalom because it doesn't go well for you when you do that. Amen? All right, so we've looked at this for four Sundays. I think this is our fifth Sunday, and this is, a, this is our last Sunday to discuss this particular sin. And I have one main goal today, and that is to show you um, just how confusing a community can be and, and situations can be when a revolution is going on, okay? When there is a revolution taking place, whether it be in a family between a husband and a wife or the children and the parents, or in a church when there are revolutionary Absaloms attacking the elders or the leadership, or, or whether it be in a business or a, a, um, any type of human uh, society, a town, a nation, and there's certainly revolutions going on in our nation. But when revolutions are taking place on a small scale or a large scale, um, whether it could just be a text group, right? And there's a little Absalom who's just stirring up garbage on a text group, right? Who's any, anybody ever been a part of one of those revolutionary text groups? Kevin, yep, I have. I can, I can literally remember them. And you're there and you're like, ah, wow, what's going on here? We have a coup d'etat and a text chain, right? <laughs> That happens. It happens all the time in churches. It's terrible. It happens uh, in, in sometimes a small group can turn into a mutiny. Like, what in the world is going on here? I, Absalom taking over. When that happens, though, and it breaks out into a larger community, it can be very, very confusing. That's what I want you to take away today. It can just be super confusing um, it, because we don't know each other's hearts that well. We, we are getting to know each other's hearts, Right? As we open up to each other and we speak and speak our mind and share our dreams and hopes and weeks and strengthen us and confess our sins, we're getting to know each other's hearts, but we don't know, no, and we can't read minds, right? And we have suspicions and we have insecurities and we have our own sins. And sometimes a cluster muster can just be confusing and you don't know which way is up, which way is down, who to believe, Right? If you've ever been in one of these wide-scale revolutions in a church, you know, eventually it culminates in a church split. You know, it's not necessarily a 50-50 split, but a faction will break off. Or if you've ever been in one of these in a business or a school or whatever, it can just be so confusing. And I think humility, right, humility necessitates that you 
take it easy, right? And not pass judgment too soon. And not be too confidently dogmatic in your assertions, right? Because it's hard to judge in the truth. It's easy to judge by, by sight, right? All right, so that's the main thesis of our class today. And so as we go through these verses, just keep that in mind, okay? I'm gonna, and we're going to be doing a lot of reading today, so, you know, buckle up. Starting at verse 23, just a little review. David is fleeing Jerusalem. All the people loyal to David, all the Philistines, remember all of them, and, and several other uh, good, uh, faithful remnant. They're loyal to David. They're fleeing the city. Absalom has blown the trumpets. He has uh, begun his revolution. Verse 23, in all the land, that's a euphemism for inhabitants, wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. So, yikes, they were in the wilderness, they came to Jerusalem. Now they're in Jerusalem, they're going to the wilderness. You know, that's sort of a, that's, that's typological for judgment. That's what's happening. The people are weeping, they're mourning. Verse 24, and Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. So as David is leaving the city, fleeing for his life, and all those loyal with him are leaving with him, guess who shows up? The high priest and all the priests. It says Zadok came and also with all the Levites. So the actual church is going with David. The faithful are going with David, and they're bringing the ark with them. The ark, by the way, is the throne of God. All right? It's the throne of God. And... um, this is essentially a, a excommunication of Absalom and all those who side with Absalom. That's essentially what it is. Um, and uh, when was the last time a faithful um, minister excommunicated a politician? Right? You know, Zadok and all the priests, they excommunicated Absalom just like that. But we have our entire government is filled with people. You can go online and you can see what denomination they belong to. And when was the last time you heard a, a, a church excommunicating a political leader? Yeah. Well, Christ Church is not the, we don't have, we are not the church of the, of the uh, police chief of Opelousas. But we sent a letter asking him to resign and repent of his adultery. And if he were a member in our church, he would repent or he would be excommunicated. Right? Not because we're um, big shots, but I think this is just simple Christianity. Uh, President Biden should have been excommunicated decades ago. All of those guys should have been excommunicated. The, 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 the church, the ecclesiastical sphere has to do what they're supposed to do, right? So Zadok and them, they are excommunicating Absalom. However, it's confusing. David just committed adultery with Bathsheba, and murdered Uriah, right? The, God didn't give him the, the death penalty, which is what he deserved. Instead, he killed his son in his place, typologically pointing us to the gospel. But David is, you know, when is David's punishment over with? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? When is David just reaping what he sowed? David's not exactly sure from my, from my reading. And so he doesn't want to strongly assert that he's doing the right thing and Absalom's doing the wrong thing and let's just cut off all those guys. See, sometimes in a revolution, the revolutionaries, you're not sure. I think they're Christians, right? 
Uh, but man, they're really causing a lot of trouble for the church or for the business or for the family. But I think they're Christians. I don't, I'm not, we're not ready to excommunicate them. We're just saying what they're doing is sinful, but we're not ready to excommunicate them yet. You understand? There are people that leave our church uh, angry and they, they'll sling some grenades on the way out. And I think many of them are Christians. They're still Christians. They end up going to another church and Seems like they're doing okay, but then you have some that leave the church and they, you know, they announce their marriage to a, a same-sex person, and you're like, okay, well, they're definitely not a Christian, right? <laughs> they they made it clear, but when when it's in the when you're in the midst of it, and you don't have hindsight, it could just be confusing, and you don't just jump, you just don't jump to conclusions, you don't just excommunicate people, <laughs> you have to give it some time, you have to think about these things, and so David actually is not going to go along with this. Plus, God said that his throne is in Jerusalem. If his throne is not in Jerusalem, we lose a lot of prophecies. We, the typology pointing to the new Jerusalem, you lose some of that. And David's basically going to send them back and say, hey, no, 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 I'm not sure about this. You know, let's, let's let God decide. Give it some time. Right? So verse 25, then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his, his dwelling place. Notice this is from our sermon. God's uh, temple where his throne is, is his dwelling place. It's his house. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. So he's still, David's still submitting to the discipline of the Lord. He still realizes he's still reaping what he sowed a little bit. So verse 27, uh, the king also said to Zadok, the priest, are you not a seer? Um, that is another word for a prophet. Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. He said, God's going to speak to you. You go back there. I'm going to wait for you to tell me what God says because he's a seer. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So notice another confusing aspect. Is Zadok and the Levites for David or for Absalom? They're for David. Are they Christians? Are they faithful? Yes. But now they're going to stay in Jerusalem, and it's going to look like they're for Absalom. And there's going to be a whole lot of people that don't know about this conversation, and they're going to think the priests are with Absalom. And that's because David's a bad guy. But they're going to be totally confused. They're, not going, to, they're going to jump to conclusions, and they're going to judge by sight instead of judging by truth, right? You see, it's getting confusing here. Who's on whose side, right? Um, verse 30, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. Verse 31, are you all able to follow along? You're 31, and it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ah, that, was, that was tough because that was one of his best friends and his close confidants. And so it always stinks when you're stabbed in the back by someone you've been in close covenant with. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Ahithophel knows some stuff. He knows David. He's got a lot of info. And David prays an imprecatory prayer asking God to confuse Ahithophel's um, you know, mind. Verse 32 while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. So David and the people are in mourning. They're marching out. Um, and this man, Hushai, comes up. 
and he is, uh, you know, dirty, and his clothes are all torn and in, in, uh, in, what do you call it, in tatters, in tatters. Verse 33, David said to him, if you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. He's old, that's the reason why. He's, he can't really march, march out, all right? Um, but, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, watch this, very interesting, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. So instead, you can't go out with me, you're too old, you can't keep up with the march, but go back there and pretend to be for Absalom and be a spy, right? Now, David's a, he's lying here. Is lying a sin? Not necessarily. It depends on, depends. Right? And, uh, and if this is the first time you've ever heard that, um, don't jump to conclusions. I will have tons of lessons on it. I'm not teaching people to lie, right? <laughs> but the devil doesn't uh, ha- deserve the truth, okay? And if the burglar comes to your house and kicks down your door and is like, hey, where, where's, your, uh, where's your children? You know, and where's the safe? You, you lie. What's safe? I don't have kids, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> You lie. Uh, uh, they don't, they don't, the truth is not owed to them. You're at war with them, and, and God lies to his enemies. He tricks them. He f- fakes left and goes right, right? And, um, and that's okay in basketball, and it's okay in war, right? So, <laughs> wait, wait, what? The crucifixion was a, was a, uh, it was a fake. Yeah, it was a fake left. The devil would not, the Bible says literally, the devil would not have, gone about that if he would have known that was going to lead to his his dethronement right so <laughs> so David's sinning in him but now think about everyone on the outside wow they're for Absalom they're against David but they don't know he's actually for David but he's friends with Absalom oh man this is tough this is getting confusing and and so that's why we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions just because someone works in the senate doesn't mean they are of the devil it's a high likelihood but it doesn't necessarily mean that. You see what I mean? Obadiah worked in the court of Ahab and Jezebel. And Obadiah was a faithful um, man who saved hundreds of prophets working uh, as a spy in the, in the administration of Ahab. That's got to be tough, you know? And so you've you got to be careful not to judge according to uh, what you see. And, and be careful to not jump to conclusions. You see, once again, we're not sure. We would have said Elijah was faithful in the times of Ahab because he was speaking prophetically. And Obadiah was a squish and a normie not saying anything. But that's because Obadiah had a slightly different tactic. And he didn't want to get his head chopped off that day. But he was fighting the same. Different tactics, but both still fighting in the same direction. Make sense? All right. Um, back to, back to um, David's day. Verse 35. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So he's saying, hey, Hushai, be a spy. And remember, uh, the priest Zadok and the Levites are there. So whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons, you know, they can run fast, um, are with them there, Ahimaaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. So Absalom was on the march, the trumpets blasting, and David's f- fleeing, and he's sending people back as spies. So people are leaving, and people are coming and going, and here comes Absalom. And uh, David's going to get intel through the uh, sons of the priest. Verse 36. 
2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Right? Am I reading too much? Are y'all following it? Are you, I'm trying to show you. It's getting complicated. And, and I don't even get into chapter uh, 17. It just gets so complicated. Uh, <laughs> there's so many good guys and bad guys and, and spies and intel and counterintel. And it's uh, just very confusing. Verse 1, when David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him. Okay, so now we got a new character in the story, Ziba. Don't name your son Ziba. That's just a little heads up. Okay, but right now Ziba's going to look like a good guy. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread and 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, right, first of all, Ziba is with David, and he's bringing provisions. Good guy. Ziba's awesome. He's very, um, he's very uh, generous. He's hospitable. He's caring. He, he loves the Lord, apparently. He is faithful to the, to the king. And so David's like, hey, where's your master's son? Which is, an, that's what he's calling Mephibosheth. Now, do y'all remember Mephibosheth? He was of Saul's lineage. And David found him and gave him a position at his table. Means made him a nobleman and gave him the whole estate of his, of his um, father, Saul. Remember David let Mephibosheth come to his table? Now, uh, this is going to help you for the sermon because the sermon's a little complicated today, but when you get a seat at the king's table, it doesn't mean that you just get dinner. It means you're now a lord. He's lord of lords, but now you're a lord. You have a commission. You have an estate. You have a, a job to do, right? That's Mephibosheth has all of Saul's estate and is sort of leading a large swath of the Benjamite territory, right? But now Ziba, Mephibosheth's servant, is helping David, and David's like, well, where's, your, where's Mephibosheth? Right. Um, Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. See, what is this insinuating? That he's with a part of the revolution. He's with Absalom. And that makes sense because Mephibosheth was from Saul's lineage. And when you have David's tribe, David's family in a civil war, hey, why not time for Saul? Right. So it makes sense to David and I suppose everyone that Mephibosheth is seizing this opportunity to revolt too. Today, the house of Israel, this is what Mephibosheth said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Oh, we see what Ziba's saying, Mephibosheth is a revolutionary. Um, then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. So David, you know, cancels Mephibosheth's seat at the table and gives it to Ziba and authorizes and commissions Ziba to have all of the estate. So what Jesus does for us is Jesus is a Lord. We have a seat at his table. He is Lord of Lords, and he gives us a portion of our inheritance of the estate to be faithful with. But if we're not faithful, that which we do have is taken and given to another who will be faithful. You lose your seat at the table, and another gets a seat at the table. I know that's a big concept, but that's what's going on here. And Ziba said, I pay homage. That's tithes, tribute, because if you are a lord, you pay tribute to your lord, to your hire, right, for the uh, privilege of uh, working portions of his estate, right, and feeding your family, and you pay homage to the, to the lord. 
I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my Lord the King. Now, do you think David did the right thing there? What do you think? Ziba comes and says, Mephibosheth is a revolutionary. He's revolting against you, but I'm bringing you provisions. David says, I take everything from Mephibosheth and I give it to you. What was David's mistake? He didn't hear both sides. That's right. I don't want to be too hard on him. He's going through a lot right now. But, <laughs> huh? Two, three witnesses, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and we're going to get into it a little bit later. But um, the words, uh, I can't find it. But basically, you don't make a judgment until you hear both sides of the story. <coughs> well, we got a lot of applications to come, so let's press forward. Um, but um, what David should have done is he should have, uh, what does love do? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. He should have given um, Mephibosheth the benefit of the doubt until he had two or three witnesses or until he heard both sides. So when, you, when things are confusing and there's sides are being formed and uniforms are being handed out, be careful not to swallow the first assertion that is made or the first thing you hear uh, from your girlfriend on the phone. Don't, don't do that, all right? It's very, very foolish, and you can cost yourself dearly, all right? Don't do that. All right, let's move on. Verse 5 of chapter 16, and we're almost done, and we're going to get to the good applications. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. So here comes another person from Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of the king of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So Shimei comes out now and he's throwing stones at David, which basically means you go to hell, right? God hates you. I hate you. You're a dirty dog. You're cursed. You're condemned. You're getting the curses of the covenant. Why, though, Shimei? And Shimei said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Um, so David's leaving, and Shimei is, you know, yeah, and take that, right, on your way out. Um, he's like the, the kind of person that dances on people's graves, right? <coughs> That's what he's doing. He's dancing on David's grave and cursing him. <coughs> In whose place you have reigned, and, and uh, wait, no, the Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul. So what does Shimei think? He thinks that David killed Saul. David didn't kill Saul. David killed the man that killed Saul. So Shimei, once again, doesn't know the whole story. He's jumping to conclusions, and he's adding some sauce with it, right? Cursing and throwing stones. Um, and the Lord has given the kingdom in, into the hand of your son Absalom. Not true, false. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. <coughs> so this is one thing. Shimei never said anything when David was, was doing fine. Shimei never said nothing. But now that David is, is down, he's going to give him a kick. And, and just so you know, when, when bad things happen to leaders, or they get sick like Job, right, or get crucified like Jesus, or, or maybe they, they commit a sin and it's found out publicly, that's when all the haters go and they pile on, right? And, uh, and I always think about that, and you should think about that. There are some things that if you did and it was publicly found out, your enemies would dance on your grave. Don't, and, and David prays all the time in the Bible, don't give my enemies the satisfaction, God. Like he's, he's saying to God, one of the arguments he, 
gives to God to not kill him and humiliate him forever is my enemies will think that they won instead of your faithfulness and your promises. It's a good argument for, for it. And so David's like, protect me from the evil one, but also don't let them have the, don't, you know, don't let my enemies have the satisfaction, right? So I think that's a good motivation to stay faithful in your life, right? Uh, because there's a lot of people, if you cheated on your wife, they would dance on your grave because you go to Christ Church, I promise you. And they'd be like, yeah, that's what they do over there. And that's what this and that. Anybody who's been at Christ Church long enough knows. And if you become a drunk and alcoholic and you get a DUI, they're going to be, see, that's what happens when churches drink. And they're going to do the two-step on your grave, right? So, and, and we're all going to know what's happening because they got shimmies out there. But don't give them the satisfaction, Right? Stay faithful. Don't give them the satisfaction. Amen? That's why, but there's a Shimei out there, jerk, piling on. Listen to, what he, listen to this verse in Matthew 7, verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, obviously, this verse, anyone who wants to be quick to, to judge and quick to dance on someone's grave when they have, when things aren't going well for them, right? Uh, wants to pile on or kick a man when he's down. Anybody who wants to do that uh, better be careful because it's coming for them. Because the, the standard that they use to judge will be used on them. And, and so don't be that kind of person. Don't be quick to judge. You're not the judge, right? There's a lot of things in this life you can just leave to the judgment seat of Christ. You know, we're all going to be dead soon. It's not going to be long from now. And, and we're all going to stand before the judgment. And there's a ton of stuff. You can just be like, well, we'll just let the Lord figure that one out. I don't know what happened there. Like, I don't have any anger in my heart toward the person. I wish them the well. They seem to hate me. I don't know. I don't know. You know, if I sinned, I confess it. And, you know, I, I, but there's just no fixing this. This just thing just blew up. And I'm not going to kick them. And I'm not going to judge. I don't even know. It's so confusing. You know what I'm saying? That's, I think that's the right way to do it. You got to be careful jumping on your hobby horse and judging people, right? You got to be very careful about that. It doesn't mean we don't make judgment calls according to the Lord, the law of God, but there are, there is a way to render proper uh, due diligence and due process. Amen. Makes sense. All right. Another one is <laughs> surface level judgments are almost always uh, false and incorrect. Uh, uh, John chapter 7, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances. You don't know what's going on in this story. You don't have all the facts. Rather, judge with right judgment. And that's, by the way, why you want wise people to be your elders of your church. If you have unwise elders that are quick to jump to conclusions, don't make good judgments, judge according to appearances and get uh, swept up in all sorts of stupid uh, controversies, you're, it's just going to make things really bad for your church. You want really wise people that know how to do justice and know how to render right arguments and go through due process. And that means that takes a long time for someone to get there. You know, usually it's older people, not always, but it just takes a long time to get there. So make sure you have wise people and you, you want your bosses to be like that. You want your, your parents to be like that, etc. Um, another application, in times of revolution, when things aren't going well for the leader, well, I already did that one, all right, but moms, uh, when, uh, when things aren't going well for dad, that's not your time to be like, 
I told you so. You know what I mean? That's why I should be running this place, right? Don't pull a shimai. No one's saying that he's perfect, right? He's just the boss, right? And you weren't willing to say anything when times were good. You didn't want to manage the bank account until now, right? You were fine letting him deal with everything. And now that times are tough, now you want to take charge of everything because he, he stinks at it. No, no, no. If you didn't say something when things were good, don't say it now that it's bad, right? Because you are culpable too. You were part of it, all right? <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> also, I think with Shimai, you can see what bitterness, bitterness starts off small, and it can build over six, seven, eight years. But there's usually when someone's bitter, eventually it starts to manifest itself on the outside, and wise people begin to spot it. Little comments are made, little sideways glances, little things happen in the community. And you start to see that person's bitter. You start to see it. If you're, and if you're wise and you've, and you've been doing it for a while, you can start to see all the, all the signs of bitterness. The same thing can happen between a husband and a wife. The bitterness can start off small, and it can grow and grow, and it's kind of under the surface. It's a cold war. You understand what I mean? And, and nobody really wants to bring it up, right? But then, like Shimei, David finally something happens, and David, boom, he comes out of Shimei. He's so bitter because he's, his whole life, it's actually, I think it's like 29 years uh, at this point since the death of Saul, if I remember correctly. But Shimei has been stewing over the death of Saul for 29 years he's hated David and finally curses come out and stones are thrown hey okay I, di I didn't know that right I, I remember one time a very bitter man who was leaving our church talked to me I was meeting with him and he's like the way you have treated me for the last three years and I was like I thought I said hey man I thought we were friends right what do you mean the last three years like we've like been friends for three years he's been holding on some nasty bitterness for who knows what reason crazy just crazy that kind of stuff happens and um and wives don't let that stir up in your heart amen don't let that stir up in your heart and husbands you too you too um because the funny thing about this is shimai has been ticked for 29 years and it wasn't even true david didn't kill saul hey david I heard you killed Saul. Not at all. Oh, okay. That wouldn't have been hard, right? <laughs> Actually, I killed the man that killed Saul. Bummer, man. Blew up his whole life, blew up his relationships, joined Absalom over an assertion that he heard from someone that he never tested. I mean, how many times are people bitter for years over things that aren't even true? Wow. It's bad to be bitter over things that are true because you lack grace and you lack forgiveness. But even worse, to be bitter over something that wasn't even true in the first place, just a perceived hurt, right? <clears throat> False assumptions can stir up bitterness, right? And guess who loves to, to plant lies and false assertions? The devil. That's right. The devil is an angel, and angels means messengers, and that's what he does. He sends messages, little whispers little half-truths, so that you can get angry. And then when you get angry, you get handles that he can move you around with, right? When you get angry, that's when you start doing stupid, uh, foolish things that blow up your life because the devil's working you like a puppet with your anger. All right, listen to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. 
the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. You know, I just, look, I think you, no one ever teaches us this, but when we hear that juicy tea, that little, you ever hear that? You What was that? What was that? Even, even with my kids, my wife and I will be talking to me like, what's that? What's that? It's like, none of your, none of your business. Why do you have a smile on your face, right? You ever been like that? A little, little gossip, a little, little sneaky little tea, you know? And a little smile comes in your face, it's delicious. Especially if it's about someone that you uh, are enemies with, right? Someone that's been causing you trouble. Ooh, you love to hear those delicious morsels. And the devil will, will feed you a little, uh, little Hershey's kiss. He'll feed you a little morsel and you'll gobble it all up. Mm, and it wasn't even true. And now you're angry, and now you got handles, and you blow up your whole life, and the thing wasn't even true. You just, you ate it so fast before you realized it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't um, a brownie at all. It was something else, right? It, it, it looked like a brownie. <laughs> all right. We got a couple more minutes. Skip to, uh, I'm just going to skip because the, it just gets so much more confusing. And my main lesson is I just want us to be humble right? Man, I, I, I can't stand when I'm doing marriage counseling or just talking to people and the wife's made up her mind. He did this. He did that. These are his motives. These are his intentions. This, 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 and this. And got all kinds of stories. And then he's made up his mind. This is her motives. This is her intention. And I'm just like, I don't know which way is up. I don't know why. Hey, can we just, can we just start fresh, <laughs> right? Let's just, and, but it's so, it, a lot of times they refuse to do it because the, the, it, they've so judgmentally jumped to conclusions and asserted things and they know everything right and then they're just angry and bitter right ah it's terrible it's terrible it's so much easier just to say look I, I don't know what's going on around here it is confusing right it is confusing but hey I'm willing to let water go under the bridge on this one it's so confusing All right, let's just start start from fresh I think that's the way to do it second Samuel chapter 19 verse 18 and they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king. Now, remember, we skipped to the end of the story here. King's coming back. God hanged Absalom in a tree. Remember that? Um, by his hair. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, a, that's what happens next. But, yeah. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household to do his pleasure. And Shimei, remember, this is the, the guy who danced on his grave. The son of Gera fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. What's he saying? He found out that it wasn't David that killed Saul. And that he had been bitter all this time for no good reason. And he runs out to meet David and is like, please forgive me for what I did. And David, of course, forgives him. Amen. Isn't that something? So awesome plot twist there. Second Samuel 19, verse 21. Verse 21. Abishai, the son of Zeruai, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruiah? That's, a, his, uh, that's a David's sister. And his, his sister was a nasty piece of work and a, a bitter lady, a bitter Betty. And her, both her sons are bitter and angry. And they don't know what spirit they are of. 
uh, that you should this day be as an adversary to me. So basically, now the guy who's throwing stones is on David's side, but David's uh, close advisors, his sister's sons, his nephews, are vengeful, and they're, and they're like, no, he needs to pay the ultimate price for this. And David's like, water under the bridge, can we not live in peace, right? God, God should just kill all of us right now, and let, yet he doesn't. Let's have some mercy, but these guys got no mercy in them, right? And, and, they, and they, they got no chill, and they make things hard for David the rest of his life. So his close advisors are now the new problem, and the guy throwing stones at him is now his loyal friend. So it's very confusing. All right, now jump down to verse 24. <clears throat> this is the last one. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, <coughs> came down to meet the king. So he's back in Jerusalem. Mephibosheth is there. <coughs> he had neither taken care of his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. He's been fasting and mourning for David this entire time. Now remember what his, his servant had said? His servant said he's leading a coup against you but I've come to provide all this stuff for you. His servant is like a good socialist. He's very generous with other people's money. Right? And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. That's Ziba. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. His servant left him, took off and tricked him. And Mephibosheth couldn't walk. <clears throat> he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. <clears throat> so he, Ziba loses his, his privileges in, to some extent. But, um, but Mephibosheth is actually, at the end, he kind of is like, well, just let Ziba have some of this. Let Ziba have it. It's fine. Whatever you think, David. It's a very fascinating story, back and forth. But Mephibosheth was, a, was an enemy. He's actually a friend all along. Ziba was always an enemy, though he was pretending to be a friend. The advisors are enemies, but the, uh, but the guy who threw stones becomes a friend. And the, and the priests and all the Levites are on David's side, but they're in the court of Ahab. And that's why, in times of revolution, uh, you need wisdom, right? In times of relational confusion, you need guidance from the Holy Spirit. You need supernatural insight, um, which usually comes through a multitude of counselors, through your pastors, your elders, and you need to have the humility that can state, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm willing to let bygones be bygones and live in peace. Amen? All right. Now, relational difficulties are not always confusing. Sometimes it's very clear, and those are, that's really nice when it's clear because you can figure out what to do. But sometimes the test is, is the test of confusion. And, uh, and the devil is a confusing liar, and, and he does this to communities. You've got to be ready for that and, uh, and, and hold, hold judgment and, and be wise. Amen? All right, let's, let's have a good Lord's Day.